0: If you guys have got your, your uh, copy of Scripture, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and uh, join me in prayer right now as we prepare our hearts to receive the Word. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your Word tonight. I thank you that uh, there are those that are gathered here together. I pray for those that are not here. Uh, perhaps they're not feeling well or they're feeling alienated from us or uh, whatever the, the issue is. Father, they're not mobile or they're not... Uh, um, able to be here I pray father that some of them will join us online and I pray father that you'll minister to each need uh, to the health and to the um, to the financial needs that people have and to relational needs that they have lots of folks out there are, are in need of, uh, of uh, fellowship really and that's what you brought our church together for so I thank you that we're here for fellowship tonight and pray we can fellowship around your word that we'll be open to it and pray in Jesus name amen Okay, so 1 Corinthians 8 has really surrounded this idea of giving offense to people, which I think is really uh, an appropriate topic since people seem to get offended about everything today. And I could bring up issues in here that people get offended over, but I might offend you. So uh, all you have to do You know, I mean, people get offended if you're, you know, like, you know, we've got a rabid sports nut over here on my left. And so, you know, if I want to support the wrong team, then I might get Ricardo's nicest guy in the world. He's not going to get offended. At least I don't think so. Um, But I I have said things. I, I get myself in trouble on Facebook, like not so much anymore, but I'll just post a statement. And I think that it's pretty straightforward. And, you know, you get this you get this pushback. And, you know, I'm like, I'm just posting a statement. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, call somebody out or something. And I think there is a tendency for people to assume that, well, he's really talking to me. He really means me. And the reality is that's highly unlikely. Um, A lot of times that I'll just be thinking throughout the day and I think of something that is, Uh, appropriate for just an overall context or, you know, things that I see going on in the world and, you know, somebody takes it the wrong way. So people just, they get offended easily. The Apostle Paul is using this, uh, this case of eating meat sacrificed to idols to address that idea of offending people. Now, if you're speaking the truth in love and somebody takes offense, there's really I don't think there's anything that you should do about that other than continue to be loving because there are people that simply disagree with you and they're offended because they disagree with you. And I think we can be uh, in disagreement with someone, but we don't have to be hostile or argumentative even. Um, You can have a logical argument with somebody If they're willing to, you know, look at reasons. So I don't have many friends left uh, from the left side of the political spectrum in the wake of these two elections. I'm surprised I have any friends left because when we're in the middle of an election, I'm trying to get people to think about what's going on and not vote emotionally. But look at what the, you know, the results are going to be. But now that everything's in place, I don't see any reason to keep just, you know, pouring hatred out on a particular candidate uh, as the, you know, the person that I don't like. Um, Because what I want to do is I want to address policies. And my hope is that people will look at that. The Apostle Paul is looking at a, uh, a practice in the ancient world where people, offered sacrifices to these pagan gods and then that sacrifice was meat and then they would take it off the altar and then they just go sell it in the meat market the problem was when a christian sat down to eat with either a new christian who had just come out of paganism or somebody maybe they're they're having fellowship with somebody that they want to win over to christ and the person says oh by the way this meat was offered to zeus well now the christian says what do i do If this person associates that meat with Zeus or Apollos or Aphrodite or, uh, you know, Artemis or whoever, then they're going to assume that I am in fellowship with that God. They're going to assume, as Christians do when they have communion, that we are participating in the table of that God, and nothing could be further from the truth. The Corinthians realized that they were free. They realized that those gods didn't really exist and that this was just meat. But the Apostle Paul said, hold on a minute. He said, you still need to pay attention to that other person's conscience. So I threw a lot of different test cases out last time, uh, everything from wearing a hat or shorts in church. If you're in certain contexts, that's just not something you do. As a matter of fact, uh, Miss Mary made me aware of uh, a situation at another church uh, up the road where the pastor wore uh, athletic shoes. And, you know, at least one person was, you know, completely offended by that. Well, see, what do I do in in a case like that? I've got to look at my audience and say, is what I'm doing going to give offense to that audience so that they're not listening to the word? Because if it's a matter of do I wear a hat or not wear a hat, I'm not going to say, well, I'm free to wear a hat if I want to. Plunk. If there's even one or two people that are in the audience that are going to be offended by that, right? Or shorts or shoes or tattoos or piercings or, you know, drinking beer or there's just a million different things that people can potentially get offended by. And if it's going to stand in the way of them receiving the word, then as Paul says here at the end of chapter 8, And by the way, we were only in it for, I think, three weeks. It's a short chapter. It's only 13 verses. But he concludes the chapter by saying, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So, you know, let's say you lived in another part of the country or even you lived in Austin, for example, and there were a bunch of people around you that were vegans, right? They're offended by, and and these people, it's not just a, a healthy lifestyle choice they think that animals are pretty much people. And when you're eating an animal, you might as well be a cannibal and, you know, eating another person. And I can talk until I'm blue in the face and say, no, that's not true. And I can give biblical cases and so forth. But the reality is, if I ever want to get through to somebody like that, I can't get through to them by having a meal that is steak or you know uh, whatever, any kind of meat, chicken, it doesn't matter. Um, If I'm going to get through to them, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat a meal with them that is like they would eat. So, you know, if it's going to give offense to people, then I'll never eat meat again. Then the Apostle Paul continues now in chapter nine. I wanted to connect this so that you get the context. Um, He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse three. This is my defense to those who, who this is my defense to those who would examine me, and that really ought to be up there. If your if your Bible breaks that into a new paragraph, um, this that statement in verse three could either introduce the next verses or it could be a conclusion to the previous verses. And I just read a commentator uh, earlier today that uh, was in favor of it being connected to the previous verses, and I am in agreement with him, and so that's where I have left it. So I'm gonna stop there, and then I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna uh, take a look at those, uh, those verses. Um, he's now applying the argument he presented in the previous chapter about not giving an offense by eating meat sacrificed to idols, He made the case that this meat was not bad or unclean in itself, but only for those with weak consciences, right? So so that is those for whom an idol still held any sort of significance. Therefore, the principle is do not let the exercise of your rights cause another person to stumble. That's the principle we should be gathering from that, okay? Or as Paul put it, and I just uh, mentioned, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. It would appear that some who had come to Corinth were casting shade on Paul's credentials as an apostle. This is evident at various points in both Corinthian letters. By rhetorically questioning his own freedom as an apostle, right, do I, you know, am I not free? Do I not, you know, am I not an apostle of the Lord? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus? Paul is reinforcing both yes, that he is free, and yes, that he is a genuine apostle. So he's saying, of course I'm an apostle. And of course, I have these rights. And of course, I understand these same things that you understand, that that's not really a God and that I have the right to eat that meat. But he's trying to help them to understand that even what he is doing with them as an apostle is an example of what he wants them to do. Because Jesus said that if we're going to lead, we need to be servants, right? He said the leader of all needs to be the servant of all. The leader needs to be as the child. so we need, to, we need to not just point the way and say, you people need to do this and that. What we need to do is show the way by our example, right? So the believer in Christ has freedom. We're free from the law. We're free from sin. We're free from condemnation. We're free from death. Now, um, it may seem odd that I say we're free from death because we're all going to literally physically die, but... We're talking about freedom from eternal death, damnation, hell, uh, freedom from really even the fear of death. Remember what the author of the Hebrews teaches us about Christ's victory over death when he says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's the greatest fear, right? And then Jesus proclaimed that he had complete power over death. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. In response to this, Dallas Willard wrote this, and I read this now at every funeral that I officiate. So don't die. But if you do, I'll read this at your funeral, okay? (laughs) Joy cuts through everything. Our moment of passage from this world will be one of joy. Jesus teaches us that within his presence, we begin to live in heaven now. Quote, those who keep my word will never experience death. That's what Jesus said, unquote. There will be a continuity of life even when our bodies stop working. When we die, we might not realize it for a while. There will be a continuity of life now and forever. That's very comforting, right? You know, we can go through pain, and some people do uh, when they're suffering, you know, these final days. But in the end, that's the greatest freedom that we have. We have freedom to eat meat or not to eat meat and all of these different things, but the greatest freedom is this freedom. Well, interestingly, as I was working on this very passage last time, Um, I had written in my notes that Dallas Willard, who wrote that quote, had died at 6 a.m. the morning before I was writing these notes. Um, And I also remember that at that time, uh, Vernon Yeager was sitting right here in this room. And I knew that I was sharing things that of all the people in the room at that time, he was going to experience first. So now Dallas Willard, who wrote that quote, and Vernon, who I was really thinking that would be appropriate for uh, have both passed away, but my hope, because of what Christ said, is that they simply passed from life to life, right, um, rather than death. So that's the the greatest freedom. So the Apostle Paul, you know, he says, "Yeah, am I not free?" Now. Next, he seeks to reaffirm his apostleship since it was being questioned due to the influence of unauthorized teachers teachers and smooth-tongued public speakers. You know what I see a lot of today? I'm not on TikTok, but TikTok videos get shared everywhere else. Like I see TikTok videos getting shared on my Instagram, right? And I see TikTok videos, they're getting shared on Facebook and so forth. So I see these... and I see all of these people preaching. They're all preaching. Yeah. What are they preaching? What are they, right? Sometimes they might be preaching the gospel and they might be preaching, but they have no credentials at all. I know. You have a pretty face and you have a following and you're standing in front of your computer or your phone and you're yammering. And thousands of people listen to these folks. It doesn't matter anymore what your credentials are. It's just a matter of whether you can get people to listen to you, whether you're entertaining, whether you're winsome or whatever it is that causes these folks to, you know, to garner these sorts of followings. They've, they've got it figured out so that, I mean, I'm seeing them and I'm not see, searching them out. So obviously there's some algorithm, you know, that is causing them to be promoted, but they're also winsome enough so that other people are listening. But I mean, it's constant, right? So this is really not a lot different than what we would have found in the ancient world where you had itinerant teachers, because most people were not educated back then. They were minimally educated. Most people couldn't read or write. And so you had these itinerant teachers that were going around and offering to, you know, hold class, if you will, to teach them some things. And they were expecting money. Now, I don't know... um, can people make money on TikTok? I don't even know. I mean, yes? Okay. Um, Because obviously you can monetize. You've got to have like over a thousand followers and all this other stuff. Used to be a lot less than that to monetize on YouTube. Uh, But uh, yeah, there's people that make a good living on YouTube. You know, they just do all kinds of random stuff. Uh, And some of them are, are, now when I say preaching, you might automatically think Bible. You might automatically you know think gospel, uh, God. But not everybody's preaching that, but they're still preaching, right? They're still, hey, you know, I need you. They're selling something, in other words. And, you know, uh, they're, they're selling their ideas. And some of them are anti-God ideas. Um, there is uh, there's at least one famous preacher uh, whose son is ardently anti-God now and produces these lengthy videos Um, and it's just sad right Um, there are some former Christians in we'll call them Christian celebrities if if not Christian leaders who suddenly decided that they're not Christians anymore they either don't believe in God at all or they don't believe in the God of the Bible they have completely different ideas but see they don't want to turn loose of their celebrity so now as much as they were evangelists previously for the gospel for the Bible Now they're, you know, salesmen for their new position, right? And again, I don't want to introduce these people because I don't want you chasing them all over the place. But um, if you are involved in social media at all, then you may be uh, aware of some of these. Some of them were former praise leaders. Some of them were former preachers and so forth, but they're preaching, right? and they're making followers, they're making disciples. So really they're kind of apostles for an un-gospel, if you will. Um, So Paul is struggling with people that have come into Corinth since he left who are teaching all kinds of other ideas. And it looks like that what he's dealing with are people that are teaching uh, what we would call license or antinomianism, right? to, these are words that have sort of passed out of usage now, but uh, the term that used to be used in English was uh, someone was licentious. Have you heard that term? They're licentious. It means that they just give themselves license to do whatever they wanna do. Well, no wonder this word is not used. That's kind of what everybody does. You don't even have to name it that anymore, right? They're not licentious, they're just Americans, basically. (laughs) You know, I just do whatever I feel like doing and nobody can tell me what to do, so to, so to speak. Um, these are people that live without principles. Their only principle is, you know, their belly, their appetites, their, their, their feelings and so forth. Um, but there are those who feel like they need to codify that. They need to, to have some sort of a philosophy behind it, if you will. So there were Epicureans in Paul's day. Right. And uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul preached to on Mars Hill to a group of Stoics and Epicureans. And these these were two uh, schools of philosophy, very different than one another, by the way. Epicureans were hedonists. You know what a hedonist is? That's someone who seeks to maximize pleasure at all costs. Right. And there were hedonists that just followed their, you know, their their sensual desires and pretty much self-destructed. But there were hedonists that actually had a calculus of hedonism. What would potentially give me the most pleasure over the most time? And that was their philosophy, trying to discover how they could obtain and attain and retain the most pleasure. And maybe the Apostle Paul here is dealing with people like that. but certainly those who were antinomians. Now, there's a word that wouldn't be used except in a theological context, but it just means those without law, right? Anti, you know what that means, against. And then the Greek word for law is nomos, antinomian. So an antinomian is someone that throws off all stricture and all law, and they're not just saying, you know, I'm going to do what I feel like doing. They're saying there is no law outside of what I want to do that's an antinomian. In fact, Paul was accused of being an antinomian by some of his Jewish brethren. So these are the people that are coming in that the Apostle Paul is trying to to teach the Corinthians to avoid, right? Um, In 2 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul addresses this uh, very uh, pernicious problem head on. He says in in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So that would lead us then to examine the question of what it takes to be an apostle. or What did it take to be an apostle? Well, this was someone that was chosen and sent by Christ. First and foremost, to give testimony about the resurrection and to lead people to faith. Jesus empowered the 12 apostles to make disciples. Remember, that statement that we often apply to ourselves, uh, the last statement that Jesus makes in Matthew, Uh, Matthew 28 19 and 20 well let's back up to verse 18 in Matthew 28 18 through 20 Jesus said all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth therefore go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you and I will be with you always to the end of the age that statement was made to the Apostles they were the ones that were being sent. Those were the initial people. They were the ones with the, the power and the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, to heal the sick. And so then the question is, is there anything like that that continues to exist today? Well, let's continue to examine these first apostles, and and then we'll, we'll answer that question. Um, So what was the requirement? Um, The requirement, according to Peter, uh, this is in Acts 1, 21 and 22, Peter is seeking to replace Judas, right? Judas was one of the 12 and he turned against Christ. He uh, betrayed Jesus. And so they were seeking to find someone to take that 12th spot. And Peter says, so one of the men who have accompanied accompanied us during all the time that the lord jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of john until the day when he was taken up from us one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection so this had to be first someone who knew jesus from the time of john the baptist remember that's how jesus was initially introduced john the baptist said uh, prepare the way of the lord there's someone coming after me who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal strap, right? And then Je- John pointed to Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes with sin into the world. And then Jesus uh, had John baptize him. John said, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. Because John had said that this person that was coming after him would baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. And John was just baptizing in water as a symbol. And Jesus said, no, uh, this is becoming for us to fulfill all righteousness. So he baptized Jesus and then saw the Holy Spirit descending on him as a dove. And then the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. By the way, that's a very early testimony to the Trinity. There's the Son of God in the water. There's the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And there's the voice of the Father. So there's a Pentecostal group right now that is the, the Jesus Only Movement, the United Pentecostals. There's one right up the road up here. They deny the Trinity. That's an ancient heresy, right? The the word Trinity didn't come along until the second century, but it was an effort to try to describe what's plainly in the scripture, that God is one God, but he's manifesting himself in three persons. Is it a paradox? Yes. Is it a mystery? Yes. Does that mean it's not true? No. In fact, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, the father of uh, existentialist philosophy, was also a Christian, And was also danish which half of my family is danish and uh, he said that the reason he believed in god was because of these paradoxes he said if you could easily explain god then what is god more than a concept just an idea right that's what you know freud wanted to make god into just uh, our effort to you know to have a father figure over us god is so much more and other than that right he's the mysterium tremendum he's the utterly otherly This is a God that is above and beyond our capacity to understand. But he shows himself to us in the person of Jesus, right? Um, So what did it take to be an apostle? That was my little excursus on the Trinity. Uh, First, this had to be someone who knew Jesus from the time of John the Baptist. Number two, it had to be someone who had followed Jesus throughout his ministry, throughout that whole three to three and a half years. And three, they had to have seen him resurrected. Jesus gave the first apostles authority to represent him. And as such, they could do all the things that I was indicating and that we see in scripture. They could heal, they could perform miracles. In some instances, they were used as a conduit for people to receive the Holy Spirit. Peter and John uh, came to the first disciples that uh, chose to believe in Jesus um, uh, in uh, Samaria and they laid their hands on them and it was at that point that they received the Holy Spirit. So, interestingly, Paul, though he was an apostle, may have been considered inferior because he didn't fulfill all of those qualifications. He didn't follow Jesus from the beginning, from John the Baptist's ministry. And he uh, was not a part of uh, the ministry throughout that time. In fact, he wasn't even a Christian at that time. He probably was, uh, he was brought up in the the jerusalem area i'm sure he was quite aware of the christian movement and early on in acts all the way up to his damascus road experience he's ardently opposed right i mean he's holding the cloaks of the first men that stoned stephen the the martyr uh the first martyr to death You know, he's applauding this. He's going to Damascus when Jesus arrests him on the way to Damascus and strikes him to the ground with his bright light. He's going there to arrest Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem and throw them in jail and, you know, get them beaten or whatever he needed to do. But Jesus showed himself to the Apostle Paul on the road, right? So that's why in our passage here, He says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Now, interestingly, in the Greek there, the the have I not is even stronger. Hey, it means I've seen Jesus. These are rhetorical questions, right? The, The expected answer is, am I not free? Yes. Am I not an apostle? Yes. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Well, yes, right? So he's getting them to affirm these things. So what I want to show you is that there are then indeed apostles beyond those initial 12. Although, in my opinion, um, Peter was seeking to find a replacement for Judas and they chose this man. You can find this in Acts chapter 1. They chose this man named Matthias and they chose him by lot. Now uh, Baptists, who I I would still claim to be one in part certainly, uh, are very big on a congregational form of government and you know we believe in voting on things in fact we had our annual meeting on sunday and i gave you ballots and you know we voted i shortened it up so we didn't do robert's rules of order but robert's rules of order are not in the bible by the way Um, but in any event yeah we vote so i've been in a class at least one class in seminary where the case was made that well when they chose uh, this apostle to replace judas by lot this fellow named matthias um that that means they voted no no it was more like they you know drew straws that sort of thing they're like here lord we want your will not ours okay so who is it? Is it going to be this guy or is it going to be this guy in fact you can go into the old testament and you look at this phenomenon where they discern the will of god called the urim and the thummim and it was probably very similar to that now I'm not encouraging you to start flipping coins to discern the will of God. Okay, you have the ability to get the mind of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Um, So that's not the way we want to do it. So it's unlikely that the apostles should have been doing this at all, but they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit yet. And they were just kind of they were doing a business meeting. That's what they were doing. They were doing a business meeting instead of doing God's business. But in my opinion, and I don't think I'm alone in this, God chose the 12th apostle. He said, no. It's going to be a little while, but it's this guy. Yep, persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul and writes literally half the New Testament and evangelizes much of the known world. One guy, okay? Um, So he is affirming that this is indeed the case. Yes, I'm free, and yet I'm teaching you that you don't just go and do whatever you want to do yes i know that these gods are not really gods but i'm telling you we need to be careful and not offend one another right i'm just telling the truth speak the truth in love now i'm pointing three fingers back at me because i have been in my past i'm less likely to do this now Um, i'm the kinder gentler pastor now than i was back in the early days but um i have been an offender all too often. And I haven't been trying to be mean to people or hate people or whatever, but you know, sometimes what you do is offensive to people. They don't like it and they don't wanna hear it. And so you may still have to say it, but you can say it in a loving manner. The Apostle Paul was saying, I have the authority to tell you these things in contradiction to these other uh, so-called apostles that are teaching you. Now we're gonna read a longer passage here this is verses 4 through 14. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, that's Peter? Or is, only Barna- or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? So that would obviously be a flock of goats because you're not going to milk uh, sheep. <laughs> Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, quote, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this right claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings in the same way? The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, I don't think I have this in my notes. so I'm just gonna make a comment on this right now. Um, There were food offerings that were given in the Lord's temple as well. So I talked about these pagan offerings and they would take the meat and sell it in the marketplace. But um, what would happen with grain offerings, what would happen with part of the, the meat from the, the sheep that were offered in the temple is that it was given to the priests and the priests ate it. So in a sense, they were eating that in behalf of the Lord, right? But also that's how they were receiving their living. They didn't have fields. They didn't have uh, their own lands or anything like that. They had these, these areas within all of the other tribes. So the tribe of Levi, the, 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 the priestly tribe, didn't have their own territory. They had cities amongst all of the other territories and they made their living from the offerings that these people brought in, right? So once again, uh, Paul begins with a series of rhetorical questions which all demand an affirmative answer. Do Paul and his co-worker Barnabas have the right to secure food and drink from the Corinthians? Yes. Do they have a right to be married and bring their wives with them if they choose? Yes. Now, a little excursus on the Catholic Church. I don't know uh, if some of you are Catholics or former Catholics, but in my opinion, and I don't make comments on other denominations that often, but there is a huge, huge problem in the Catholic Church with sexual immorality in the priesthood, particularly with pederasty and pedophilia, Um, to the degree that in France, Right now, uh, yeah, I believe it's France, yes. Um, There's a huge issue they have uncovered between I think like the 1950s or 60s and now, there have been some 300,000 cases where young boys in particular have been molested by priests. How does this go on and on and on and on? Well, one of the problems in my opinion is a celibate priesthood is attracting people who have this particular issue. So how do you resolve that? Pay attention to the apostle Paul. Cephas, that's Peter, had a wife. Paul probably previously had a wife. As we've mentioned before, it is likely that his wife left him, and that's the basis for him saying that if an unbelieving spouse leaves, then you don't have to be bound to them any longer. Um, But he's saying that the, the brothers of the, of the Lord, right? This would have been James, who is the, the uh, pastor of the Jerusalem church, and this would have been these other brothers of the Lord, including Jude, who has a small letter in the end of the New Testament. They, had, they were married. And when they went out on their apostolic journeys, they brought their wives with them. Um, I really like it when I see ministers who are willing and able to bring their families with them uh, when they go out on the road and do their ministries. This fellow that I've mentioned on a number of occasions, uh, I need to learn to pronounce his name, it's Sean Fucht, I think, F-E-U-C-H-T. Uh, he's the one that uh, did these, uh, these worship concerts all during the pandemic, right? Putting himself at risk constantly of being shut down. and in the wake of the protests summer before last, uh, he just called these lettuce worship. So he framed them as protests. And so it was really hard for these cities that were allowing, you know, rioting and allowing you know, people to march and, and, and scream and holler and yell to say, no, you can't, right? But he brings, he's, he's still doing this. He's going all over the country. I started following him on Instagram uh, back when that was going on, because I just highly respect that, right? And uh, but he is—he brings his whole family with him all the time. I just think it's so cool, right? Because he's got all these these pictures of he and his wife and his kids in all these different locations, right? And they're up there on stage, you know, and he's singing, he's leading worship, and here's these little kids up there with him. I just think that is so cool, right? That's what the apostle Paul is saying. He said we have a right to do that, and we have a right so that we can all eat and all make a living at doing this. So, in my opinion, if you wanna eradicate this problem in the Catholic Church, first of all, you need to prosecute every one of these pedophile, pedophile priests and not cover it up and move them around. But secondly, you need to get rid of celibacy as a requirement for the priesthood, right? Now, you might think I'm speaking against myself. I don't think everybody needs to be married, and the Apostle Paul made that point in chapter seven. In fact, he recommended that if you're not married, don't seek a wife, don't seek a husband, right? He said if you're unencumbered, then you're more able to serve the Lord. But he said it is better to marry than to burn with passion. There's a purpose for the husband and a purpose for the wife. And one of those purposes is to alleviate that desire. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, that's my little excursus on the, the Catholic Church. Paul gives examples now from the natural world and from the law of Moses to demonstrate that he has the right to collect an income from the Corinthians for his service to them. Number one, he says soldiers get paid for serving the empire. Number two, farmers eat from their crops and those who raise animals benefit from what they produce. Number three, the law prohibited muzzling an ox while it worked, permitting the animal to eat from the grain it was threshing with its hooves. Okay, so let's just think about how this works. you know, if you go and buy, you know, wheat today, uh, flour, uh, it's already been threshed and it's already been ground, and uh, you know, it's already gone through this process, right? And so you just cook with it. But when you harvest grain, let's say barley in particular, it's got a thick husk on the outside of the kernel, and you have to knock that husk off of the kernel. Now, once you knock the husk off of the kernel, it's really light. And then what you do is you get a a threshing sledge or a threshing fork or shovel, and you scoop under that grain that's been trampled by an ox, right? So what happens is, uh, barley in particular, uh, it takes a lot to knock that husk loose, right? And so they would run over it with a large millstone, okay? Okay. And it would be an ox that would be millstone in the middle and there would be a, a wooden beam out here and the beam would be attached to the chest of the ox. And the ox would go around in a circle and it would rotate that, uh, that giant rock essentially that they had carved and made into a wheel and it would run over the wheat. Well, while that was happening, then you know, wheat would spill out into where the ox was walking. They said, you don't muzzle the ox and force it to continue to work without eating. If the ox wants to pause and go down and eat, then you let it do that. Isn't that cool that God was concerned about an ox, right? Now you could say, you know, you're you're the farmer, you could say, well, he needs to work for eight or 10 hours before he's allowed to do that. And I'll feed him later. Man, if that ox is hungry and he wants to bend down and eat, then you let him bend down and eat and you just deal with it, right? So yeah, God's concerned about animals. But then the apostle Paul says, hey, am I just talking about animals here? Is that law just for oxen? No, it's a principle, right? So companies that were were wise and that wanted productive employees would do what, well, at least until recently I'm, that I'm aware of, Southwest Airlines has always done with their employees. They do stock sharing. If you own stock in the company you're invested in doing a good job because the better your company does the better you do personally it would just be wise you know uh you know find ways to provide incentives for people if you're employing people give them incentives to do the to do a better job here's the base pay but if you can, you know, go further, then here's a, you know, here's further pay that you can make for, you know, meeting these other benchmarks and so forth. Um, you know, people in sales understand this. Basically, you know, if you sell more, then you make more. Uh, people in restaurant work understand this. Um, I discovered even that uh, the, uh, the, the bartenders over here that work uh, at Intrinsic, um, they're making more than a standard server makes. But they're not making minimum wage right so you know i'm not looking at a room full of beer drinkers but if you go over there and have a beer tip them because that's how they're making their money right if you go to a restaurant they're making nothing from the restaurant they're making everything from you now to be honest with you i don't think that's entirely fair i think the restaurant needs to be they're expecting these people to do you know all of their side work and and all these different things then they should be paying the employee. That's all there is to it, I'm sorry. Okay, pay the employee. But see, the incentive is you do a better job and you give better service and you get more tips. You see how that all works? God's just really smart about this. But the Apostle Paul is saying, for those of us who work in ministry, is it wrong for us to receive material benefits for offering spiritual uh, benefits? And then number four, Uh, sharing is the principle here. Even if the farmer is a tenant farmer, they should have hope to receive some of the profits from their labor. Good companies, I said, do this with their employees. Uh, And then Number five, the fifth principle, is under the Old Testament law, and I mentioned this as I was going along. I forgot I'd already put it in my notes. Uh, The Levitical priests who served in the temple had no inheritance in the land of Israel. They made a living from the contributions of their fellow Israelites. Those who served at the altar actually ate what was offered. So there was showbread that was given, right? Represents, you know, God you know, is, is our provision, right? He's, he's, he's giving us everything. And so we're offering part of that back to him. And so they would take loaves of this showbread and they would put it in the temple for a day. And then they would take those hot loaves now that had been sitting there for a day and they would take them out. They didn't throw them away. They ate them. In fact, this was something that Jesus mentions, uh, that David received when he was running away from Saul. He had, run out of, uh, his, uh, his master's, uh, view without anything. He didn't have his sword. He didn't have, he didn't pack any clothes, uh, and he certainly didn't pack any food. So he goes to the temple and he says, what do you have? What do you have at hand? What do you have at hand? Do you, do you have you know any swords here, whatever? And the fellow says, yeah, well, here's the, here's the sword of Goliath who you killed. Oh, he said, yes, 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 there's none like it. And so he takes that sword. He said, do you have anything to eat? So that, you know, uh, and presumably he had some other men that were with him that, you know, that my men and I can, can eat. And he said, well, he said, I have the, you know, the showbread but you know your men need to be pure in order to eat this because it's technically only for the priests. And he said, no, 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 we're all pure, we're fine. So he takes the showbread and he eats it. And this was, um, Jesus used this as an example because his disciples were doing what was lawful in uh, under the, the law of Moses, they were walking through a grain field and they were stripping grain off of the, the branches and they were rubbing them in their in their hands. Oh, what's that going to do? It's going to knock the husk off. And then they were eating the kernels of grain. Ah, but it was on the Sabbath. And they got busted by the legalists. And they said, you're harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Right? They're just eating. They're hungry. Right? These are your classic legalists. And so Jesus told the story that I just told. And he said, if, if David can do that and you know, eat this grain that's technically in violation of the law, then there shouldn't be anything wrong with what we're doing either, okay? So these are the principles that the Apostle Paul is using to show that, yes, indeed, he has the right to receive an income from the Corinthians. Are Paul and his partners in the gospel exercising these fundamental rights that they have? No, they were not. Um, he says, clearly, the Lord, that is Jesus, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But the apostle Paul said, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Well, when he says the Lord said that, where's he getting that from? Well, when Jesus sent out uh, the 70, he told them that they needed to receive from the the towns uh, that they were going to, where they were preaching, that they were to stay in the homes that offered them a place to stay, that they were to eat what was offered to them, that they were not to move around from home to home, that they didn't need to bring an extra set of clothing, um, that they didn't need to bring anything except just what they would need to walk on their feet, and they were gonna rely on the people to support them. Well, the people did support them and um, we also find the same thing when uh, jesus sent out the 12 initially in matthew chapter 10 so you can read this in luke 10 7. in fact there's a little phrase that i use often and it would be good for you to memorize this the worker is worthy of his wages right the worker is worthy of his wages if you work you deserve to receive wages for that right and so Jesus used that in connection with the 70. And then once again, uh, he talked about the 12 in the same manner. Okay. Now, although that is the right, right? So the Apostle Paul has been telling them, yes, you have the right to eat this meat sacrifice to idols, but don't give an offense. Now he's giving this huge example to them by saying, hey, I never exercised my right to receive an income from you folks. He never took an income from a church during the time he was with the church in order to avoid any sort of uh, 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 supposition that he was just in it for the money. But after he left that church, after he'd gotten the church started and it was going and he left and was starting another church, then he would be willing to receive offerings from other churches. In fact, while he was in Corinth, he received offerings from Philippi. They were helping him. When he didn't have enough money to to, take care of his daily needs, then he made tents. Um, That was his other vocation, he was a tent maker. Now, when Paul is writing this letter, he's no longer in Corinth. The Corinthians should be sending him support, but apparently they are not. And the Apostle Paul is concerned that there not be an offense given by him asking them to send him support. So although they're a wealthy city, and it is likely that some of the members of the church had money, Paul had moved on, but he still felt it would not be proper to take an income from them. This follows the same principle he teaches regarding having a wife. Although it is perfectly acceptable for him, it is not advantageous in serving Christ. So perhaps the Corinthians were so concerned about money that they would have suspected that Paul was in ministry to become wealthier at their expense. And they had reason to have this kind of concern had Paul been merely an itinerant teacher, of which there were many, as I mentioned earlier, in the ancient world. And many of these itinerant teachers went around with the express purpose of making a living. Right? So, okay, I'm going to teach you. In fact, you know, you go all the way back to Pythagoras. Pythagoras had students, right? He had disciples. And, you know, these disciples are not going to be studying under Pythagoras for free okay, let's change cultures. Let's change situations. Um, karate was taught in very, very small schools. And those who came to the school to learn had to do work for the master in order to receive the teaching, right? So there was always, it was, if nothing else, that the teacher needs to receive a living, but it was an expression of respect. Put your money where your mouth is, Right? If, you, if you're showing respect, it's going to come through what you do and what you say. And among those things will be what you do with your money. But the Apostle Paul was not demanding this, right? Um, he was concerned that apparently there were a lot of these itinerant teachers, uh, and you know they were all running around trying to get money from the Corinthians. And he's like, I don't want you to think of me as one of those. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. Um, Had he been merely an itinerant teacher, um, then he and the other apostles could have diminished their authority since the Corinthians may have treated them as those who worked for a payment rather than as ambassadors of Christ sent to better the Corinthians lives. It's sad that this church had such an attachment to money because they could have empowered Paul to do far more by contributing so that he would be provided for. Conversely though, now that was my take And then today I read this interpreter, Leon Morris, uh, who has written on the Corinthian letter in the Tyndale New Testament commentary. And he said some Corinthians evidently regarded this, that is receiving support, as proof, or excuse me, regarded this as not receiving support, right? They regarded Paul's refusal to receive support as a recognition that he was not a real apostle. They may have argued, Morris says, that Paul implicitly recognized his inferiority by not attempting to obtain sustenance to which the apostles were entitled, right? So I'm always trying to like put this in my situation, right? Um, I have been teaching karate for, well, since 1988, right? So um, I don't know, add that up uh, (laughs) 88 to 2018 was 30 years. So that's what 33 years. I keep saying 35 years, 33 years. I've been teaching karate. Um, and there have been occasions when I did what my karate instructor always did. And I collected dues. Now the dues were always cheap, right? They were like $5 a month or $10 a month or something like that. Whereas if you were to go and get in a karate school, it's going to cost you, $100, $150 a month to put a kid in a karate class, right? But I've always taught it as a ministry in a church and dues were always a way of recognizing this idea of respect. But I just got really tired of keeping track of that. And to be honest with you, people just don't wanna do it, right? But there's something behind this idea of you get what you pay for. People really do assume if they're not paying for it that it's not worth anything it's sad but it's true okay i will invite you to come to my karate class and then i will invite you to go to any japanese karate school and see if you see any difference whatsoever except that i don't collect a dime from anybody so i very much see where leon morris is coming from when he says yeah well you know he just didn't think he was worth anything that's not why i do it i mean i'm you know i started back again teaching here and you know, these are our kids and I'm not going to collect extra money from our folks. I'm just hoping that everybody is tithing so that we can continue to pay the bills. And I make an income from this church and it's the same thing no matter what I do. So this is just a ministry. But then I go over to the rock community and there's a lot of folks over there that don't have a lot of money, right? And so, you know, I want to offer this as an opportunity for them to put their kids in something without having to spend a lot of money. Um, But there is that aspect where people just assume if they're not paying for it, it's really not worth that, uh, that much. Um, and they also, uh, I don't know, there's two different sort, sorts of people. There are people that are just naturally givers. Um, there really are. And there are people that are naturally takers. And givers are always wanting, if they, even if they don't have any money, they're like, no, how, how can I help? And what can I do? And, you know, uh, whatever. And takers are always, they're not going to do anything. They're just going to sit and do nothing. Right, but they're going to take everything that you you know that you offer. So you know if I'm offering free belts and free gis and free classes and whatever, yeah, fine, fine, bring it, bring it, and you know that's what we expect because you're not charging anything. But see, the reality is there is no free. Okay, I'm usually it's coming from my money, and then sometimes it's coming from the church. There have been rare occasions when people have given to the Karate Club. Um, and then I just give that to the church and then when I order stuff online or whatever uh, through these karate uh, distribution houses that I, uh, martial arts supply houses that I am uh, affiliated with, I just, you know, if it's something that uh, they are gonna have to pay for, I don't get a profit off of it. I sell it for exactly what I'm getting it for wholesale. So I sell our geese, our our karate uniforms, They would normally sell for $30 or $40, and I sell them to our kids for $15 because that's my wholesale price on the uniform. But I also give plenty of them away. Okay, I'm happy to do that. Somebody is paying for that. You need to understand this. There's no free education. There's no free medical care. There's no free $1,400 for everybody. Somebody is paying for that. And that money that was auto deposited in your account, it's coming due. Have you seen inflation lately? Yep, do you have kids? Do you know that they're going to be paying for that? There is no free, right? <laughs> yeah. So be a giver and just trust the Lord that he is going to super abundantly bless you when you just do what you can do. Right. It's amazing to me. There is incredible income disparity in this world and in this country. I mean, you know, there are people that work their fingers to the bone and barely make it. And there are people that have so much money. It's just ridiculous what people like, you know, Jeff Bezos has. Right. This is a guy who profited phenomenally from the pandemic because none of us could go to the store. Right. We're all ordering on Amazon. This guy just got richer and richer and richer and richer. Right. And so I'm not a socialist or anything like that. Um, But again, the workman is worthy of his hire. You should make money for what you do. And it's like people just expect certain people who don't have a lot of money to work for nothing. That's nonsense. A workman is worthy of his hire. You should be able to receive for what you do. You know, and I hear people like, oh, man, you know, nobody should make $15 for flipping burgers at McDonald's. Have you ever flipped burgers at McDonald's? Uh (laughs) Uh, Granted, it's not a high skill position. (laughs) But the point is, it's hard work. You know, uh, people over here, you know, have you ever bust tables? I've bus tables back when I was younger, and it's hard work, man. You got these people over there on their feet at Intrinsic or whatever. You got people that are working, you know, various jobs. I got my man here working overnight. You're working hard. You should be paid for what you do. It's not just the minister that we're talking about. It's everybody. The workman is worthy of his hire. But see, everybody wants something free, but it's never free, or everybody wants something cheap. So... We want to go to Walmart and we want to get everything cheap. And then we're angry that the Walmart employees are not getting paid. What are they going to get paid with? You're not paying anything for anything. Right. So then that's why unions came about originally, because, you know, you know they were trying to ensure that their workers got paid and not just the the owners of the companies get paid but then that becomes political and goes the other direction and you know then you you can't afford to do business in the united states so we start shipping everything to china and now there's a huge problem with that isn't there so all right i went on too long i was gonna stop early and i didn't stop early (laughs) i just looked at the clock and it's wow it's already there so nonetheless, if you got nothing out of tonight, just realize that this is what we all do, okay? I'm preaching the gospel, I'm teaching, I'm doing these things. A workman is worthy of his hire. You're working at Mardell, a workman is worthy of his, of his hire. You're working at The Rock, a workman is worthy of his hire, right? Wherever you're working, a workman is worthy of his hire. And if you're not working, the apostle Paul said, if you do not work, you do not eat. So do something, <laughs> hey, right? I do, Just do something, do what you can do contribute, be a part of something, right? That's important. All right. Thank you guys for joining online. We appreciate it so much and God bless you.